I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Leaving Hillsong. So great to have you here as part of this conversation, which is just growing and growing. Thank you, as always, for all your support. Really means a lot, and the feedback from Nathan's episode has been fantastic. We had Gremlins last week, so if you got the first episode, I'm sorry, and if you got the second version, you might have missed an outro, which just said that if you have have something that you feel you wish to contribute to the conversation about Frank, please feel free to get in touch or contact the police because investigations are still going on. Wanted to do a quick shout-out to Ireland. Welcome to the show. Ireland has pushed the USA out of number two in our listeners position this week so let's turn this into the international sport that it needs to be and represent leaving Hillsong in your country. So speaking of good sports I'd like you all to meet Fiona. She's an activist in her own right. She's worked in community radio for a number of years. She's an activist in the LGBT community so she knows a lot about agitating for change already and people have been saying when are you going to interview somebody from a church that sings Hillsong songs or a church that was influenced by Hillsong or taken over by Hillsong and it's like well we just got here but Fiona spent a lot of time in the Christian revival centres in Melbourne and she also spent time in three other different yet similar Pentecostal churches so I'll let her tell you. Okay, so Fiona, you were a pastor in the AOG and you ended up leaving in your late 20s. Tell us a bit more about how you found yourself in that role. Uh, Well, it was a long journey. In fact, I have really been in four different churches that I would describe as 
cults or my parents in fact met in a church called the Ashburton Fellowship here in Melbourne and you know there was a type of church where the offering plate would go around three or four times until they got the amount they wanted they actually quite actively split my parents up so they they did a lot because my dad was kind of questioning his Christianity they were pulling my mum back into the group in quite a strong way and you know, they just did things like people would give her $50 to help her out as a single parent and the pastors would come and take it back off her. Yeah, it was, and she, you know, even a TV set that we had, they'd come and take that. These are the stories that my mum... Take it for the reason of... There was a devil. The devil um, operates through the TV. Right. No, but the PV, let's face it, probably ended up at whatever was cash converters at the time and lined (sighs) the pockets. And that's where my parents met in that group. And then my mum, I think eventually left there. I'm not exactly sure how old I was, but my mum's passed away now. So I've got a lot of questions about the timelines and things Mm. like that. But we ended up then in a group, which I can remember, called Springvale CRC, which is a Christian revival crusade. Okay. And they're a spin-off church from the original kind of Assemblies of God church and movement that happened around about the 1930s, 1940s, last century. And again, very weird. I just remember from that group, people dancing a lot in church. Again, I think they started to be quite controlling of you know different relationships and who you could see outside the group. And then my mum met my stepdad in that church and he was an ex-revival centre person. So we ended up when I was eight, starting to attend the revival centres. And we were there until I was 18. So I spent most of my sort of formative years in that group. And for those of you who haven't heard of the revival centres, I mean, they're smaller movement now, but they used to own the Forum Theatre. They owned it for quite some time while I was attending there. But they they had some different beliefs that you wouldn't find in any other group. So for example, in order to get into heaven, you had to speak in tongues okay. to be saved. So I remember- That's being, a lot for a kid, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I remember being about- in some time in Sunday school and they pulled me into a room and just got me to say hallelujah over and over again. Right. So I was like, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And then, then, wow, praise the Lord. I was speaking in tongues. Yeah. And they had, they very much, you weren't allowed to have friendships or relationships outside of the group. You weren't allowed to read material that was written by other Christian groups. Yeah. There was a lot of rules around sex, as usual, where if you had sex outside of marriage, you would have to then um, marry that person because you're already married in the eyes of, of the Lord. Okay. So, yes. so hence, there was a lot of early marriages and then a lot of early divorces. <laughs> All people were quickly getting married so they could actually have sex. So that weird stuff around that kind of thing. Um, and I eventually got kicked out when I was 18 because I questioned some of the doctrines that were coming out. And they, they brought a new one out that said, if you have sex outside of marriage, you there's no hope of salvation anymore and you will permanently be kicked out of the church. So that was their way of controlling that out of control behavior. Do they have the numbers to to justify that kind of well, it's not a punishment. I mean, <laughs> can they afford to lose that many people? Well, I think that's um hasn't, you know, it's definitely not a good business strategy, is it, to get, <laughs> get rid of all your tithers. So they're not they're not that big anymore. They're they're quite a quite a small obscure group now. There was a point where they just had thousands of people right across the world. Like we'd have these huge conventions that would happen every year at and they'd be at Monash University or you know, the convention centres here in Melbourne and there'd be thousands of people there. It used to be the stock standard 
at, you know, Hills Christian Life Centre and, and I guess the starts of Hillsong, but when there's hundreds of thousands of people, it's also something that isn't very appealing to confess to, is it? I mean, yeah. if you know what the punishment's going to be, why yeah. would anybody tell anyone? I'll never get to see my family again, so I won't yeah, tell anyone. I'd... So, And then that would happen too, you know, kids <gasps> would not be talking to parents, um, brothers and sisters would cut each other off because they believed that they were going to corrupt them in some way. So, so yeah, so I challenged that new doctrine and I actually really researched it, like went through and the church actually split into two. So there was team A and team B. So team A was, yes, that's true. That doctrine's absolutely true. And team B was like, hang on a minute, that's way too far. So the the church actually went and there was a big power struggle between pastors and some people went with team B and some people went with team A. What is in actually shifted buildings? Well, yeah, yeah. So one group would start hiring a different hall. That happened in Melbourne. And interesting uh, what people split over, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think I think some pastors saw it as an opportunity to run yeah. the show. That's what happened. And then I went to team B because I thought this doctrine's not right. Yeah. But then that that triggered a little splinter in my mind that where I thought, oh, hang on a minute, if they're wrong on that then maybe they're wrong on other things. So I started questioning that at quite a a deep level. And then I got in contact with friends that had left the group, you know, years before and said, you know, what's your experience? And they all had horrific stories of... Did that take a lot for you to do? At the time, I was living with my mum. She was still in the group. And how old are you at this point? So I'm 18. So I was in last year of high school, you know, my friends that I'd all grown up with since I was eight... I was basically walking away from all of those friendships. And what, like, what else life. is going on in your life for you to, to see differently, for you to start questioning a lot more? Well, I, I questioned because of that one doctrine, but then I started reading, I dared to read books outside of you know, other Christian books at that stage because I was still very much with the mindset that God's real, Christianity's real, but that this group is wrong. So I started reading other books. I got in contact with people that had left and started talking to them about what I'd seen, what they'd experienced. And it started just to open my eyes that the world's a lot bigger. And I started to visit other churches. I went to Waverley Christian College. And I remember them just being on stage praying for someone that was leaving the church and blessing them. And I was like, aren't you meant to ostracize them? And I saw (laughs) (laughs) they were perhaps a little bit less culty than the one that I was that I was looking at. So then I left there and then kind of started exploring other churches around Melbourne, still thinking Christianity was the right way, and ended up hooking up with some people that were ex-revival center people. And they started their own church. And of course, God had this incredible calling and vision for this church. I think that's what I see a lot of people do is we go, oh, I'm just going to assume that all of this was right, that the Bible's still true, that the the message of Christianity is all true, but this group just, they've fallen away. They've they've gone the wrong path instead of going even deeper. Because for me, I'd always always been a Christian. I'd always grown up in this. You know, because you're obviously a very questioning, intelligent person. I think it struck you. Yeah, I think in that circumstance, because people I respected were also questioning that yeah. doctrine, everyone yeah. everyone collectively kind of had to question it. The, the church was splitting completely down the middle. But I think a lot of people during that time were also just persuaded by whoever was around them, whereas I went, hang on a minute, I just wanted to dive right into it. And I was listening to the scriptures they were giving the church and back it up and they weren't matching. It's possibly the first time there was an opportunity to actually question yeah. what was going on. 
Yeah, because you've got to think when you're when you're in these kind of groups. I mean, you don't have healthy relationships outside the group. Like I had friends from school, and I connected with people from school, but because you're taught that you know God God is um, given you a special calling, He's drawn you, and He hasn't drawn all these other people. When even other people would say that group's weird or that's rubbish, what you're talking about, it would just push me away from them. It wouldn't actually get me to question. Mm. In fact, and it that's, would, it would that's fill grooming, me with, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's right. It would fill me with that, some kind of sense of pride that I'm. You're I, special. I you're different. Yeah. It's just so, so blatant in retrospect. Yeah, and I, I do feel really lucky that that little window opened up because you can you can easily I can I still see people that I knew growing up that still sucked into it all, and I think, wow, I just had that tiny little window open up that allowed me to just think about the possibility, yeah, that something wasn't right, and then. I started also looking into what cults were at that time. I remember someone gave me some information on it and I th- the revival centres literally ticked 10 out of 10. That was just okay. like, wow, yeah, yeah. They're, they're there. So, yeah, so then I, I left there and then I started, you know, left high school as well. So life was changing right around me in quite significant ways. And then... Do you think something else would have come up along the way or would we have seen you now married to a revival centre pastor and yeah, well, surrounded I, by 16 children <laughs> look possibly but I am I'm I am a lesbian so it kind of protected me from fucking <laughs> up with the Christian boys too much which I can also and be what was that like in the revival centre for you uh it was really like really dark uh in fact I remember seeing a friend of mine a male friend got, he got kicked out because he came out that he was gay yeah. and I just remember the things people were saying about him and how the devil had given him a disease and you know, all that sort of thing. So I just kept squashing it, kept squashing it down, I suppose, and tried to pretend and secretly tried to get myself healed from it without telling anyone. I didn't mm. tell anyone for years. So yeah, it, growing up like that, it was, it was I, I think the mental health damage that did to me personally was, was quite deep. It took years to unravel, in fact. It wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I actually properly came out, and I'm now 44, so I haven't been out that long. Oh, a simple recipe for disaster, hey, but we recognise that more now. I don't know that anything's that different in these churches. They pay lip service to it, but I don't think anything's that different, and I'd say they've got a lot of blood on their hands, you know. It seemed to be a very targeted group. And, and yeah, not just not accepted, but very targeted. You know, why not the gamblers or the or the know. people committing fraud and all the idolaters? The idolaters. Yeah, why do we pick that one? But the I think the thing is, there's a very the, the control structures in these churches seem to be wives serve your husbands, men are above women, and so when you throw yep. in yep. homosexuality, the the control structures start to kind of crumble. They don't work. Oh. Because, I'm, I'm not going to hook up with a, a man and just have his babies. So that's going to, whoa, that's going to throw some things out. Yeah, so, but you're going to also lead all of the other women astray and make them think they don't have to either. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, then who's going to iron the shirts? It's, yeah. You know, it's just. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, they're, they're quite blatantly targeting trans people at the moment quite publicly. So they're not, they're not even hiding it. You know, during, we, we saw it during the marriage equality. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. ...plebiscite in Australia. I mean, we were getting told that our kids are from the stolen generation, uh, that we're Nazis, that the devil... You know, Who was this from? Um, well, Lyle Shelton from the Australian right. Christian Lobby, yeah. was, he was yeah. getting more airtime than anyone else during that plebiscite and he was up there saying things like that. Uh, Margaret Court, she said um, trans children are the work of the devil. Right. So we, we have very public Pentecostal people in Australia that are targeting a, minor, a minority group just based on sexuality and gender. So anyway, then I left that, then I left the revival centres and got caught up with some ex-Revival Centre people. And when I joined, you've got to imagine I was very disconnected uh, in the world, in my in my world. So everything had changed overnight. Uh, I'd lost all my friends. I was trying to make new friends at school and university. But so when I came into this newly formed group, they were treating me like, like they were my parents. And okay. pastor actually prophesied on me. So gave me a word from God. God has called you to this church. You are a part of this vision. Oh, and I was like, like, wow. I felt like from then on, I couldn't see any other path. It was like, wow. God. So these are just ex-revival centre yeah. people? So they're okay. ex-revival centre people that had left and had, or been kicked out and had reassembled and some extra people that had joined over the, you know, whatever, whatever recruitment program they had going. So there's probably about 30 or 40 people in the group. Okay. You know, older people were think, thinking I had something really special about my life. It was just incredible, you know. So over, after a few years, too, probably two or three years, they joined, officially joined the AOG, the Assemblies of God which was quite a big thing for us to do because we kind of prided ourselves on having a special calling that no one else understood that, um, you know, God was prophesying at every meeting about how special the calling was. We were going to have people joining our church, like trains from heading into Flinders Street Station. You know, it was... What brought about that decision to join the the big AOG then? I think there's a lot of advantages to joining a bigger group in terms of resourcing I think my pastor was particularly craving a father figure as well. So it helped connect him in with who was a pastor in the revival centre. Okay. His father had died and I think he was craving that. I think he was, he was you know, the, the resources of, you know, going to conferences and mentorship and that kind of thing, you know, and the network of it too. It's a huge network, thousands of churches across Australia. So and we trusted him, so we we trusted that he was listening to God, that he was praying through these decisions, yeah. and uh, we followed. I mean, we followed him. To, I just I will never quite understand how I got to this position, but I would have, if someone was pointing a gun at him, I would have stood in front of it. 
you know, and the and the what you're taught constantly is that the man of God is, you know, the, God's authority on earth. So God had put them there. So well, the stakes are incredibly high, Fee. You can't get much higher than that, can you? And we're talking about eternity and salvation and someone who's hearing directly from God. I think that's a normal response to, you know, an abnormal situation, but it's a rational response. Yeah, and look, you know, part of me was craving, I was craving that family structure. I was being adored by parental figures. God had put these beautiful, amazing gifts in me that I was going to be used to draw lots of people out of the pits of hell. Make a difference. But not just a difference, like an eternal difference. Like yeah. you know, you're not just you're not just doing a good thing for some poor kids down the street. You are saving people from the pits of hell. And you know, that was alluring. It was like this allure of um, this special knowledge this special truth that only we had and uh, did you ever find that overwhelming like it this kind of drive to help people to save them from hell like you just what if you couldn't do enough what if you couldn't get what if you you know you're tired and you want to go home but what if you've missed out and you miss someone's salvation that you should have talked to it the shame and guilt of those kind of you know simple decisions could be could be huge and I ended up in leadership in the church well, by the time I was 23 or 24. So I was running teams of 30 or 40 people at that age. Which, yeah, but way beyond what I was actually getting training for or capable of. Like I was just reading books, trying to figure out what I was doing. <laughs> I was reading the E-Myth and, you know, those kind of books. Just Tra- trying. To f- what were you training them in? What were well, you running? The, the first thing I did was I managed the events team. So on the at the meetings, you know, it was the people that gave out communion welcomed people at the door, prayer group, the prayer team up the front, the speakers that came in. And then eventually my pastor brought me into his office and said, um, I want you to build a youth group of 300 kids. So I was like, but we've got two teenagers in the church. How am I meant to do that? So I just kind of went, I grabbed a couple of people that I knew were good with young people and said, let's go and hang out at the skate park and just see if we can meet some kids (laughs) and over a couple of months and then I found a hall that another Assemblies of God church had that had like air hockey tables and pinball machines and basketball and you know that sort of thing and launched with 40 kids a couple of months later one of the other people from church managed to get some free Maccas and KFC so we'd give them dinner they were bored, you know, really mm. bored. And we just offered mm. them some fun for a night with the, you know, small disclaimer that they had to give their heart to Jesus. So I had a couple of mentoring sessions. It wasn't an intensive mentoring, but with Michael Gugamucci and James McPherson. So James McPherson uh, was a youth pastor at the time up up in Burnley in Queensland. And then Michael Gugamucci quite famously lied about having cancer, faked having cancer and then faked God healing him and re- got a whole lot of donations for his medical yeah, of all training. the of all the people to have as a mentor yeah i know he was, I wonder he was, what what would you learn from him they both gave me the same advice actually i'll never forget this advice because they looked at the kids i had in my youth group so we're talking you know housing estate kids so they're poor you know they're not your church middle class kids that would generally go to a planet shakers conference or a hillsong conference we're still in contact with these kids. Like we, we've, we know these, we, we've built really good relationships with these kids. They're now mid thirties, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> what they both said to me was, yeah, you, 
you're not going to be able to build a youth group on those kids. And I was like, why? And they both blatantly said to me that they can't tithe and they can't, they can't um, become, they're not, they're not going to build your church. They're not going to build your church. Oh, um, no. And they're not going to have money to go to Bible college and yeah. all that kind of stuff. You're so, not going to get any pastors out of them. Wow. I, I just, yeah, that's, that's what they were thinking. Like, so oh. I, I remember walking away and I actually said, to James particularly, I said, well, I am. I am building a youth group on these kids. And to be honest with you, it's one of the only things I'm proud of from that time because you, we still get them writing to us going, you guys made such a big impact on our lives well, because we, we liked them. We hung out with them. You're not a human. You're a tithe potential. And in actual fact, it was really successful in a lot of ways. Like we, get, we drew kids out of nothing and brought them in, hung out with them every Wednesday night. They came to church. They all gave their heart to Jesus at Youth for Christ conventions. Yeah, Youth Alive kind of meetings. Yeah, those kind of things. I was 28 when I left that church and I haven't looked back since then. I haven't joined any cults since then. And, you know, Michael Guglamucci, it all came out that he was lying about cancer. And then, you know, I've watched James McPherson. His Twitter account is just awful. It's it's um, yeah, slamming so minority groups. It's all about yeah. the left and the right. And I went to Harvest Bible College for a little bit, for about six months. So it was run by Alan Davies, uh, who Alan. recently prayed for Scott Morrison at that conference a couple, a few weeks ago. But, yeah, I was only there for about six months, and it wasn't a requirement. I was appointed by the leaders of the church. Or, or kinds of people that any pastor might take a liking to what just then gets to call themselves a pastor and have all those benefits that go with it. Well, yeah, I think from their perspective, they just wanted someone that thought like them, that they could control. And then it ended up there was kind of, because we, we were called Vision City Church. So it, we ended up with a vision team. There was a vision team. So there was me, I was a single, a single lady. And then there was two, <laughs> two married couples as part of the, the vision team. But in actual fact, single young people made up kind of 80% of the church, but they were making decisions based on what married couples with kids would want, which was a constant source of frustration. But it ended up by the last few years, we were going to meetings every night of the week. So, you know, we'd have Sunday. So Sunday was morning meeting church, and then we'd have an evening service at another location. Okay. Saturday night, I had to run the youth group. Friday mm. night, we'd have this massive prayer meeting called Authority Over Atmosphere. Um, <laughs> Thursday night was worship practice. Wednesday night was cell group. Tuesday night, I had to teach something or rather. I think Monday night I might have had off. But it was basically like there was no room to, it was so absorbing that Incredible, there was just no it? room to have friends outside of this group. So I started. And what would happen, what would happen, say, if somebody, if you said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do cell group at the moment or? You, well, you, you sometimes, sometimes people would. So, you you know, or I would, I would say, look, I'm not comfortable with something. And honestly, I would sometimes get pulled into a room and all I can describe from these experiences is bullying, like uh, get stripped apart. And I would often come out of those meetings hyperventilating, like complete mm. sort of panic, oh. panic attacks. It was just brutal about how, I'm no longer hearing from God. You've strayed away, you know, all that sort of thing. So, yes, you could say it, but there were certainly big consequences. And also there was this constant kind of threat of as the church grows, we, the leadership might change. In other words, you might not be required anymore. So do you think because there's been some talk 
in Hillsong in particular with their Bible college about secrets that these organisations keep about their congregants where, you know, that can keep a lot of people not wanting to change anything or rock any boats because there's secrets on them that the leaders hold. Was that a thing that you experienced as well? Yeah, well, the thing is there's this weird relationship with that. Like I remember getting counselling off a couple of pastors early in this group and they were, at the time, they were the two ICs, so they're second in charge. And I told them things, like I came out to them, so okay. I actually told them about that. And how I, did that go? Well, they it didn't go well because what they ended up doing was, and I thought, I want to actually talk about this and I want to bring it into the light and I want to, I want to be able to deal with it with people I trust yeah, this is what I was thinking. And then about a month later, I was in David's office and he said, yeah, so uh, Warren, have you been telling me what you've been dealing with? So they had told the senior pastor the, the stuff I'd been talking about in the group and he brought it up in a kind of way that used it against me. So what had been their initial response when you first said to them? Their initial response was they, they had this book where you had you had to sort of ask for forgiveness for everything that was against the way God had created you. So, for example, oh. if, if you wanted blonde hair but you had were created with brown hair, you had to confess that. If you were born a girl but wished you were a boy, you had to confess that you weren't happy with the way that God had created you. <laughs> you know, it was like that. See, these weird prayers that you had to that, That's endless kind of guilt stuff, isn't it? Yeah, oh, the shame. shame and guilt that... Um, so you, you end up in this kind of position where you've got such low self-esteem. It's like a, I, I very much relate to people that have been in a domestic violence or abusive situation. Yeah, when they're in this controlling, yes, whether it's a controlling group so. or a controlling partner, the result is the same you, and the methods are the same. And indeed it is. That's pretty much the model that I'm working off now is similar to a domestic violence model. And we'll talk about that more next week. So don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all those kinds of things wherever you're listening or watching. And... Don't forget to tune into our new podcast, Reading Hillsong, which is now on most platforms. And we'll talk soon. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.